What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 23rd, 2022, and this week's episode, The Problem Child in the Web. We'll be talking about a stacked UFC 280 from Abu Dhabi, what's next for the champions, what's next for the challengers, and everything else in between. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. Hamza Chumayev might be staying at welterweight to take on a very, very outspoken contender. And of course, several of the other stars of the UFC are booked for some very high-profile fights coming this winter and spring. And then finally, we'll cap it off by talking about a back-to-back night on Saturday. Arnold Allen, Calvin Cater in the UFC, and the boxing super fight that really just divides the fan base. Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, all of it right here on today's show. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with Natalie Zamudio. Double G, double G. I'm still recovering a little bit from all the highs and lows of UFC 280. I know you had a busy day yesterday. Busy day, busy night. (laughs) Um, How are you feeling over 24 hours after Abu Dhabi and all all the changes, all the craziness that went on? So I got to be honest with you, uh, you asked me personally, having done so many big events myself now and having, you know, like I've been there, I know what the process feels like. Yeah, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't have severe FOMO, like when we got to Thursday and I see everybody and you kind of, for myself, I always picture myself there, right? So when yeah. I'm not, sometimes it's a little difficult and it's kind of hard for me to be like, oh, well, I'm not doing anything for this super mega event, even by pay-per-view standards. So I will say I felt a little bit of that, but I had some thoughts on the pay-per-view. I will just say it. They did their best. When I think about how it could have played out as a broadcast, the fireworks show, it didn't live up to Disneyland, you know, middle of the night, $2 million fireworks show every night, something like that. Yeah. It was just like a nice little pop-off, and that was it. Mm-hmm. it uh, but uh, look, I, I get it. There was, It almost couldn't live up to as much hype as we gave it, much as we tried, and I think that's how I felt about it. I, when it was over, I was like, you know, I, I just, I really thought we were going to see a little bit something different when I looked at that card on paper. What about you? Yeah, I think that when it was all said and done, there were some moments that, had strong opinions about but the main card itself was ended up being a little bit strange um with some of the fights at the the, some of the fights i thought you know not as exciting as i would have hoped um and then the strangeness of once you get into co co and co-main and then even the main there was just it was not at all what I expected, um, but it was still very entertaining, and I'm still a little bit in shock with how some things turned out. Um, but looking back, the way we were talking last week, the way it was being hyped, everyone, every voice that you know in MMA media was like, this is the best card on in years. It's got all of these names. And then it's like, okay, well, that was a good card. But it definitely wasn't, as you said, uh, you know, the glorious um, 
insane event that we thought it would be. Still solid. I don't regret paying the exorbitant amount of money that they're charging for it. But, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I would say this. So you always, I feel like that's the thing. You want good matchups and you want uh, high-profile fighters, right? You want people that you feel like are big name, high stakes. And in that way, I felt like you couldn't have asked for more, really, from 280. You had two title fights and essentially four back-to-back. Let, let's be honest, they could very well be title eliminators. Every person who won from the featured prelim onward could fight for a title in their next fight, mm-hmm. depending on how business shakes out. And they would be completely warranted. That's the kind of card it was. But um, we'll get into all of that individually. Let's start from the top down. Charles Oliveira, Islam Mahachev. I, I will say, look, by the time when Bruce Buffer said go, it's like, oh my gosh, we're here, right? Yeah. And um, I will say that I felt like we actually saw a little bit of a neutralization of the offense in the first round. I thought that Islam looked good to get it started. Obviously, he kind of connects with that left hand and suddenly it's like, okay, it's not just going to be Charles on the feet and then whoever gets the takedown. It It's a much closer fight than maybe we thought it, at first. I thought that Charles did a good job of not giving Islam too much space when they got on the ground. Obviously, Islam spent most of that on top. Tried to work, but let's be honest, he couldn't really posture up to, you know, start, you know, smash. And then for Charles, he couldn't really get the space he needed. And the, I guess the time kind of like, you know, sometimes it feels like your opponent's kind of sitting there and they're trying to adjust. And then that's when a guy like Charles goes to work with his uh, legs and his hips. It felt like Charles didn't ever get that either. So it just kind of felt like they were kind of holding each other. Islam was trying to stay active. Charles was trying to get him to give him the space. Neither of them got what they wanted. Gets up. Obviously, Islam won that round. Charles isn't defeated yet by any means. And then we just kind of get more of the same. Islam just was... I'll say he was just more confident on the feet. I think that his style, I think the threat of the takedown, all of that together, really made it difficult for a guy who isn't known for one-shot stopping power in Charles to do what he needed to do. And I think that we saw a little bit of that. I think the broadcast referenced it. And then you just have that moment. Charles goes in. Islam catches him in midair. They go to the ground. Islam pretty much falls right into half guard and an arm triangle passes. And it just takes him about two seconds to really give him that Dagestani, Dagestani, however you would say it. Yeah. (laughs) That squeeze and... He submits the all-time submission leader in the UFC, becomes and new UFC lightweight champion, completes father's plan, passes successfully, essentially gets the torch from Habib to, you know, from his brother Habib, and now he holds it. So, all of that, and I will say this before we get into you know, X's and O's, and I don't want to say the word critique, but just you know how we do it. Very well done performance. That was a high stakes fight and he handled it about as well as you can against a guy like Charles. He did. Uh, It was very surprising how easily this fight was finished Um, from round one to till it ended. And two, I was very surprised that Islam was successful with basically everything he tried. From my view, Charles was too impatient it seemed like he wanted to prove a point, but 
you know, it's clear that he he would have been to me. It's clear like he would have been outclassed no matter what round the fight was finished in. But I think because he was too impatient, it ended, you know, very early in round two. He accelerated the timeline by trying to show the world that he can grapple with Islam too. And he was, I think, just being, just rushing. If he had just been a little bit patient, but I can only imagine the adrenaline, the pressure. You're coming off of this Justin Gaethje win with the losing the belt, and you feel like you're still the champion, and you want to prove to everybody that you really are still the champ. I think there was a little bit of, you know, uh, mental uh, weak, I don't want to say weakness, but mental fatigue probably, overthinking the moment, and that led him to make uh, poor decisions. I think ultimately it was not com- not really competitive, man. Like when I think of how Islam just handled everything on the feet and on the ground, it was very, very surprising. Now, could it just been Charles Oliveira having a bad night? Yeah, sure, because we've seen him just completely, you know, out gut Dustin Poirier, uh, Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, and doing it with a little bit of hardship, but then, in, but once he overcomes the hardship, relative ease, right? This was just a Islam bulldozer, and when I think about MMA math here. You know, Khabib, be, who, who Khabib beat and then retired on top and who Charles beat and then who beat Charles, right? So Islam, the protege of the Nurmagomedov um, dynasty, beats Charles Oliveira. And so I'm thinking, this is kind of like, I think Islam is going to be, I'm just going to say it, I think he's going to be champ until he decides to retire because the way he just was ahead and stronger and faster and smarter than Charles in every way. So MMA math, Charles beat all these other guys that Khabib also beat. Now Islam comes and beats Charles. I think Islam's going to be the man for a while. What do you think? Well, he's that lineal champion, right? Mm-hmm. I feel, uh, there was an article once. I feel like Lightweight was the only one because it was something like BJ Penn was lineal champion but then BJ went to another division and lost. So they're like, well, wait, does that mean he's still that? And then, I don't know, he came back and he won at lightweight. It was a whole confusing thing. But I want to say that uh, all the UFC titles are still lineal, even with, um, like, I feel like Fedor technically had it, but then it went back to a UFC guy. Islam is now in that position at 55 at UFC. Um to talk about that, look, like we said, like the thing that was so impressive about Charles, the reason why we had so much hype, he was not only on a great win streak, he beat the guys that Habib defeated, and he finished them faster than Habib. Yeah. And I think that that's why, I'll say it, I got excited, I would have loved nothing more than to see the, re- the reaction, and I drank the Kool-Aid. I'll say that right now. Charles went out there in the press conference and he said, I talked to Habib, and Habib came up to me and said, I respect you so much, and... It was all promotion. You're a great champion, and uh, we have nothing but respect for you. It's just promoting the fight, and when you promote the fight, sometimes you have to say certain things. And I was like, "Bruh, I was so ready for you know the calling out and the mom washing the shorts and all of this, <laughs> you know." Um, and you know, look, I, sometimes you get carried away, right? That's how you know the hype is working. Um, 
Yeah, look, it's hard to see a guy defeat is kind of like when you see Hamza do what he does, when you see yeah. when you've seen guys like Anderson Silva do what they do, mm-hmm. it's hard to see a guy taking that belt from him. And certainly when you talk about the wrestling and you have to be good enough to stay on the feet and then good enough to do what you need to do on the feet, uh, all of that makes it very difficult today sunday after the fight to say oh this guy could easily beat islam mahachev that's not out there no let's talk about the future then obviously dana white says it's going to be alexander volkanovsky volkanovsky gets in the cage it just seems like i don't think that asked benil dariush in the moment but it's like do you th- i'm pretty sure benil's like oh come on and <laughs> we'll talk about him in a little bit but long story short looks like it should be volkanovsky if Let's say for whatever reason, you never know, right? Anything could happen. Obviously, it should be Benil. I can certainly see if Michael Chandler or Dustin Poirier has an amazing first-round knockout. I could see them sneaking in just because that's such an easy sell on pay-per-view, right? Obviously, Dustin's a big name. Chandler's a big name. I could see that happening, unfortunately, to Benil. But if you, I have to rank them. I think it's going to be Volk. Benil, the Poirier Chandler winner, one, two, three. And the only way there's a shuffling of the deck is if someone is hurt or otherwise unavailable. And there's just no there's just no negotiation on that. I don't think that there's gonna be much conversation on Tuesday with Dana and the boys. Yeah, the Volk the Volk situation is really interesting. He's kind of the man with his attitude about this, you know, saying, Oh yeah, I'll fight you know, I'm I'm cutting weight, first of all, to be the backup for this UFC two eighty. Charles says he wants to fight again in um what was the next one? Australia? Yeah, Perth. Okay, yeah. in Perth, right? And then two months later or however however how much time later, he's uh Charles wants to fight in uh in Brazil and Volk's like, Oh yeah, that's good, that's good. Oh, wait, when is the Brazil fight? Oh, it's two months from the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. or a month. I mean it's something crazy and he's like, Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> And I believe him. I believe that he really doesn't give a hoot. He's just such a positive dude, and he's totally willing to put in the hard work. He must have a very supportive family, um, and he must really enjoy it. Because I really believe that he would do all those things. Would a commission allow him to go from 155 to 145 in a month? I don't think so, but what do I know? If they let Hamza do it yeah, in right, a week. Right. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> I love this Volk, you know, um, like tangent i guess that that's been introduced or third wheel that's been introduced to the 155 equation uh, i think yes he should get the shot that would be a great fight volk is a very special guy i have built up a lot more respect for him after seeing his third match against max holloway so i would love to see this fight you know i just said i don't think i think as going to be champ for a long time and i stand by that but volk would have a good chance of performing a lot better against him than i think we saw in Charles Oliveira. Not to say that Charles in a rematch couldn't couldn't do a lot better. Of course he would. Uh, but but yeah, I like the Volk thing. Benil, sure. Benil is so likable. He's very talented. He's gritty. He's tough. Um, and Islam will need opponents. And so yes, I agree with you. That should be the number two. And then of course Chandler Poirier. Yeah, that all adds up. But I feel like if you know you're putting um, pressure on the UFC for whatever reason. If Volk can't fight, they're going to want the biggest name possible. Like, this upset over Charles Oliveira was big. 
And so in the, in the next uh, or the first title defense, you're going to want a big name. And I, you know, no offense to Benil, but Volk, Poirier, Chandler, they're bigger names than him. And so even though Benil should be second in line, you know, for the poster, they're probably going to go with Poirier or uh, Chandler to be backups for Volk. Yeah, I hear you there. I think that um, obviously at 45 now, uh, do they? Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a push for an interim title because you get pay-per-view points. You get mm-hmm. a cut of the check. Um, it sounds like Dana is just going to push to say, hey, look, you guys can fight. And who knows? I mean, it's November. The fight's in February. We could hear about a Yair versus Josh Emmett on the undercard, similar to Benil versus Gamrot, you know. Um, we had uh, Saturday, so I think that that could come into play, not as a title, but just as a contender fight. And they're just like, look, take it or leave it, or we might see if Arnold Allen can sneak in here, something like that, if one of the guys is in game. So I'm sure there will be some, uh, you know, negotiations there on featherweight and talking about the future. Uh, that's a story for another day, as is, you know, how do you see a fight between a guy as good as Volkanovski and a guy who's looking as great as Islam Mahachev? We'll get to that another time. Um, co-main event, Bantamweight Championship, Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. I don't even want to talk about the fight too much because it feels like, um, I, I've never read the book, but I'd imagine like much ado about nothing. Felt like it was much ado about nothing. And it, it's not Al Jermaine's fault. He's going to take some of the criticism. I've seen a lot of talk about who is there to talk about in terms of how this fight went down. The fact is, TJ Dillashaw was compromised from the opening bell. He was probably 25% of the way to dislocated by the time uh, he touched gloves with Aljo. And then really, it was just one-way traffic. The one thing I will say is Al Jermaine never got reckless. He stayed patient. He didn't just go, okay, I'm just going to spam shots to the left arm, you know, because I know you're hurt. He stayed smart. To TJ's credit, he did grit out quite a good amount of damage in that first round. But really, this was just like the clock counting down from the beginning from TJ. I do want to acknowledge now in case we don't get to it. There was clearly something. Everyone made note of it. He was never featured on Embedded all week. He was not he was the only fighter from the poster not to get an open workout. All of this leads to obviously a lot of question like, well, what the heck? And now we know I'm going to give go ahead, whatever you'd like to say about the fight, because I'll give my thoughts on what I feel should have happened uh, after the fact. Go ahead. Yeah, this was one of those crazy ones in the card, right? Aljo did his thing, though. And to me, he looked great doing it. And so. You feel for him because even DC said it during the fight. Ah, everyone's just going to be talking about, you know, it's another asterisk in the Aljamain Sterling title reign. Uh, Piotr Jan, and now this, uh, he only beat him because his shoulder was dislocated. No, he beat him. And I like the way you put it. You know, Aljo was smart. He stayed patient. You could have easily um, gotten distracted by the, the injury and gone in for the kill too fast. And, you know, Dillashaw's still has knockout power even if his left arm is not working there was probably there was still potential for something to hurt sterling so he did it smart i had no issue with the way he performed it was great he looked amazing tj dillashaw to me 
you know, coming off the two-year suspension, using the EPO, just blatantly lying and, and griping about the, the stoppage of that fight, knowing that he cheated to get there. And after this, when he gives that interview in the cage, I was stunned, man. I'm like, this guy's deceit knows no bounds. He's displaying some sociopathic behavior here. It's way too easy for him to lie. He blew out his shoulder in April, and and his I don't I'm gonna sound like a little over the top here, but it, it's greed, right? It makes me think of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. His precious, like he wasn't gonna relinquish the this matchup, this opportunity to fight for a belt, even if he was completely ineligible, you know, undeserving, unfit to fight. And then after you lose. Your shoulder pops out twice. Then you apologize to the division. Oh, I'm sorry, I took someone's spot. Man, you had a long time to go back to the UFC and say, I am not in a condition to fight. Give it to someone who deserves it, who can train and put on a good show. This was, you know, UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi. You know UFC cares about this relationship. They want good fights. They picked a big name. They thought he was going to be there, giving it, giving Aljo a, a, a real challenge. And he should have pulled out. I don't know when the UFC found out about it, if they knew at all, but obviously Mark Goddard knew uh, right before the fight. And I don't know what under what obligations a referee is, is under to reveal, you know, an injury like that that's revealed to him. You know, should he have said something like, this guy's not fit to fight? Is there such a rule? I guess not. Um, but you got Piotr Jan and Sean O'Malley right there. And either one of them would have taken that fight. And, and not to mention all the other folks at 135 that would have taken that fight. So I'm, I'm really just, oh man, it's just, it's just kind of gross. It's way too easy for him to lie. That's scary. I, I don't know what, I don't think, I, I, if I'm UFC, if I'm Dana White, I'm really pissed, but I don't have a sense of what they're thinking about all this. I don't know if you do. Yeah, I don't really either. I felt like Dana White even just kind of was like, well, if they approve him, they approve him. And that's the fight, right? It's just so weird. So what I will say is that at the end of the day, TJ didn't hurt his bottom line. on. Uh, sorry, the UFC bottom line on Saturday. He showed up. Uh, fans had already spent their money by the time his fight comes on the broadcast. They've already... He's kind of completed his obligation. Um, on... The Goddard thing, before I talk about the big picture, I will say, I don't know what it is, but there are sometimes, there's some, there's sometimes I think the threshold to actually be approved for a fight by the commission, I think is very low. Yeah. Remember, we've had Michael Bisping admit that he got away with fighting with one eye, essentially, for yeah. like two or three fights. With one eye, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> like, what is the test, you know? Have you ever seen that, like, video? It's like the TSA guy and it's supposed to check you and he kind of just runs his fingers from like your uh, armpits to your waist and that's it. Mm -hmm. It takes two seconds and it's yeah. like, bro, really? Like, what is the criteria for safety? <laughs> um, I spoke with Tony Kelly earlier in the year. He admitted to me that he technically still had like a torn, I don't know, labrum or something in his shoulder, was approved to fight Adrian Yanes, And I'm like, don't they check for these things? Like, aren't there certain injuries you cannot have before a commission approves you? Maybe so. Apparently not. I don't know what to tell you. All I know is this isn't the first time we've seen a little, you know, something. 
Now, obviously, you talk about the context. It is TJ, and the way I felt about it was just... I, I, I will give him this. He's a guy who we just talked about it. He's essentially lost about three years of his career. Two on his suspension, one on this injury after fighting Sanhagen. And now, you know, you're talking about a guy, look, best era, best um, just iteration of the Bantamweight division that it's been in a long time. Certainly better than when he was champion. You don't know when another title shot's ever going to come around again. You don't know how many of these, quote, runs you still have left in you if you're a veteran like TJ. That being said, Saturday felt like, at least for that co-main event, uh, you could have just told me it, it wasn't happening. Because really, I felt like it was a non-event. I felt like Aljo essentially didn't... Essentially, he did a lot of hard work for nothing. Yeah. That, that You know, there was never... I'm sorry, but this is a... This is literally a gimme. We talk about, oh, there's no easy... No, that was an easy fight. The guy had one arm. He couldn't post up. He couldn't throw hands. Uh, That's, you know, if he's just boxing, that's 50% of the offense gone. Yeah. What did we really get out of it? That wasn't entertaining. That wasn't any of that. Now, look, obviously, like I just said, I understand why TJ would do it. He's probably saying, look, people already don't like me that much yet anyway. I might as well go out there because I don't know when I'll get another title shot. But to me, I was like, that was unfair to Aljo. That was unfair to the fans who showed up. And, you know, I know that the card was already great without them and would have been great with someone else taking on Aljamain. But the fact is, it just didn't leave me feeling right about it. And I understand why TJ did it. I understand how he was able to do it, like I just said, with the commission. But at the end of the day, I saw that and it's like, I don't need to go back and watch that, you know, later on. What's there to talk about? He had one arm. Uh It is what it is. Now, look, obviously things are going to get better for Aljamain. Cheeto, you got potentially Sean O'Malley. And if you want to use this as the transition to that fight, we can. But when I look at that title, very simply, I have a hard time seeing a guy like Sean O'Malley not get it. And I know there's some people who say he maybe didn't win that fight with Peter Yan. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the fact is, you got this kid, clearly appeals to a different demographic than the usual UFC star. You have essentially an ambassador to the Contender Series. And if there's one thing we figured out this year is that Dana White sees so much value in that thing. It's probably the second most valuable product that they have outside of the UFC fights themselves. Because essentially you have a program on which, you know, they have 10 weeks and getting on one of those weeks is one of the most coveted things any young fighter coming up on the regional scene, whether you're in America, Europe, Asia, the Middle East, um, you know, Southeast Asia, New Zealand, Australia... It is the most coveted thing because you get to stay with your family. You got to stay with your camp. You don't have to do all the weeks of seclusion of Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. And it's just about one night. Prove your stuff. Having an ambassador like Sean O'Malley who shows that if you're down to throw down and put yourself out there and fight these fights. Remember how Sean O'Malley got there. He said it himself. I'm not interested in tough competition unless I'm paid. Plenty of young fighters are seeing that and it's like, 
why would I talk to the Bellators and the PFLs when I could be a Sean O'Malley? Right. I think that value, you know, Dana White isn't going to necessarily use that to sell the promo when, when and if he gets a title shot. But I feel like that in and of itself, Dana sees it. They're not, you know, they know what they're doing at UFC. I think having a guy like Sean in a title fight and potentially champion means a lot to them. Um, so I think that that alone gets him the title fight. He's an exciting guy stylistically. Obviously, if you don't go there, I think uh, to kind of give a rankings again, Chito Vera. Marab Devalishvili isn't going to fight his bro, um, Aljamain. And then Henry Cejudo, it's kind of like, look, you can do it, but I think the fans have kind of spoken on their desire to see Henry Cejudo fight. And I think UFC kind of has let Henry Cejudo know what they think about him stepping into a title fight immediately. So that's where we're at. What about you? Yeah, I like I like Henry Cejudo coming in. I mean, this this division has already been seeing some crazy things since the yawn knee to Eljo with you know Aljo coming back and proving to everybody that he was he was good enough to beat Jan and then this TJ thing uh, so I actually like Henry Cejudo coming in Sean O'Malley um, I don't think is deserving of the shot but we can get into it like I understand why he would get it of course he's extremely popular and he's very talented and exciting to watch uh, I didn't think he won the fight against Jan but we'll get into it um but I just want to clarify one thing, too, about Dillashaw. I get, you know, of course I get that fighters are going in there with injuries. I, I bet all of them have an injury or so of some sort. It's the, it's just the, the level of deceit uh, on this one that just rubs me the wrong way, Double G, because it getting blown out so long ago. And it's not just that it's injured, because who hasn't gone in there with a bad knee or a bad shoulder? It's that it's popping out at least 20 times in your, in your training camp, and you know that when it's popped out, you can't use it. That, to me, is bananas. But in any case, um, yeah, I like Cejudo Sterling. The personalities will will collide beautifully. Uh, we'll get some great interviews out of that. And um, I still believe in Henry Cejudo having having the stuff to get his belt to get his belt back or, you know, to get the belt again. So that is the one I'd want to see. Cheeto Vera is also very interesting because it's just he's a killer, man. He's such a killer. So, Kanez, I, I understand that you say the appeal you like a lot, Henry Cejudo. Do you feel that's the one that they will make next, though? Oh, uh, you know what? They love them some Sean O'Malley, and I think that might be the one that gets in there before Henry Cejudo, um, unless Cejudo can, like, you know, because he's like this cringe, this is like, you know, he has to be able to talk his his smack talk in a way that isn't so annoying uh i think sean o'malley does it better pushes the bright buttons um and it it depends which of the two o'malley or cejudo can can get the social media buzz going stronger and then you know how sterling responds i feel like ufc is probably leaning more towards o'malley why wouldn't they um because cejudo is a big name and i want to see it but don't you think Sean O'Malley's bigger right now? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I would definitely argue that. That's why I think Sean O'Malley gets that next title fight. Um, looking at the rankings, I mean, okay. So, for example, I feel like Marab. Marab is going to see if anything happens. But I, I could see Marab wanting to fight a Henry Cejudo. 
I also, I mean, you got Corey Sanhagen, Rob Font. Um, those are the potential options because I think that at the end of the day, like you said, Henry, UFC is going to make Henry earn it. And I think that at this point, they kind of feel like, no, you know, you want your title shot, you earn it because you kind of screwed us. And now you're kind of just expecting us to give you the glory without yeah. any repercussions. No, we're not interested. Like, they already proved the Bantamweight division doesn't need him to get popping. So exactly, I think they could see like, hey, we're going to try to build a Marab off of you. We're going to try to build a Rob Font or Corey Sanhagen off of you, you know. Double champ, all that, yes, that's nice, but that is not necessary, you know? Um, now, mind you, look, stylistically, I would love to see it. Like you said, I kind of like the idea of him drawing at Aljo. I think they love Sean O'Malley more, and I think that if you if Sean O'Malley's off the board, I think they'll just straight up give it to Cheeto before they would give it to Henry, plain and simple. Yeah. Anything could happen. Henry could sneak in there. Cheeto could just get it. Um... And yeah, like I just said, I've already said a few times, Sean O'Malley, I think, is going to be the one who gets it. Uh, did you think Sean O'Malley won that fight with Peter Yan? No, man, I didn't. In fact, in my notes, all I wrote is Yan won 2-1 to one, the end. Like, to me, it was very clear. Was it, were there some big moments for Sean O'Malley? Yes, but I thought uh, Peter, Peter Yan won round ones and two. He could have even made a case for three, but okay. Uh, so I was very, very, very surprised by that decision from the judges. When I heard, you know, when they tell you the second judge gives it to O'Malley, I'm just like, what? you got to be kidding me. Here we go, right? I know. And then Bruce Buffer, he does it like, you know, he kind of fakes. Yeah, you don't know which way he's going to look, who's going to point at. And I'm like, okay, here it comes. Pup, pup, pup. Sugar, Shauna, what? So I was, I was bothered by that. And, you know, Piotr Jan, man, like he won that fight. But... That's what happens, right, when you go to the judges. So what about you? Did you, uh, are you as upset as me? Oh, I, I thought Peter Jan had that. I was like, oh, yeah. what? So, uh, I mean, one thing I will say, like, in terms of results, this is the night the UFC essentially wanted, I felt like. I mean, you got Peter, or sorry, you got Sean who won. You got Manon Fioro who won. Um, I'm going to fly through him just because we have a big show, but, like, yeah, I just thought Peter landed the harder shots in yeah. that fight. I thought it, that was a fun fight. Don't get me wrong. I was very impressed with Sean O'Malley. I felt like Sean showed that he deserved to be in that conversation with guys like Peter. And I think that's the best compliment I could give him. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like Peter Yan did a little more. I thought he, when it was over, I thought he got the job done. Just leave it at that. I, yeah. It was very fun, but I thought Peter still had it. Um, and like I said, look, that's a great fight for Sean O'Malley a nice one people are gonna like watching it back it's gonna be entertaining helps to promote a sean o'malley title shot whether or not he gets it we're gonna wait and see i'm sure everyone wants a little bit of time off before we have that conversation but i think now we finally have an idea of what we're working with when we make the next round of matchups at bantamweight so there we are uh benil dariush um i gotta say that was a very fun fight Gamrot was ready, but Benil really did his thing. Uh, do you have anything you really want to point out about Benil's fight with Gamrot? Because that was just a nice one. It was, yeah, it was a good one. Benil did his thing, exactly what you expected him to do. You know, ex- excellent grappling, takedown defense. You know, getting out of those those um, 
you know, against the cage situations, like he was golden, man. And then, and then on the feet, I love his style. It's, it's aggressive, a little, I wouldn't say sloppy, but it's a little old school. Like I said, he does a little bit of winging, but not really. And he's just in there to have fun. So that that's it, man. I enjoy the fight. Yeah, I was surprised not as much uh, striking from Gamrod. I really thought that that's where he feels he would have had the speed and maybe the advantage. But it was Gamrod who was looking to grapple a little more. And I think that when Benil got into that flow, that's where he kind of pulled away because he was ready with his takedown defense and he was ready to come at him on the feet. And I think that's what won him that fight, essentially. Um, by the way, Gamrod, more amazing transitions. I love watching that dude grapple. I yeah. mean, it's just... He just makes it look so much fun, but that was Benil's night. Like I said, if anything happens to Volk, it should be Benil, no question. Um, Next one, uh, Manon Fioro, Caitlin uh, Chukagian. Not as controversial as the O'Malley-Yan one. I did think that it was probably going to go Chukagian. Um, the late takedown probably stole it for Manon. It just felt like more volume Caitlin. Manon was sitting down on harder shots just with less frequency. And so I thought it was going to be Caitlyn. Goes to Manon. Obviously, that kind of completes her side. You beat the number two girl. I think we said pre-UFC, Manon's on like an 11-fight win streak, something like that. Uh, I think Valentina Shevchenko knows who's up next. What about you? Yeah, I mean, again, this division, the 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 title shots are very easy to come by. Um, and so it's winning the belt. That's the hard challenge in, in 125. And I don't mean easy to come by in that, you know, the opponent that gets you the title shot is easy to beat. But once you do that, there's really no bargaining, pleading, or anything that needs to be done. You know, Shevchenko's just cleaned out the division. And so if you win a fight against someone who's good, high rank, then there you go, you're in. You got the spot. So, yeah, I think Manon's in there. And, uh, you know, that was a, a fight that I thought it was fine. But I was thinking, why couldn't they put Alexa Grasso and um, Arouge? I can't remember. Arouge. in there, man. Like, they couldn't have said, hey, do you guys want to go to Abu Dhabi, just fight a week later? Because that would have been a much better fight. I think it would have, you know, if you're going to showcase the female fighters, I think that would have been a better fight for, for the main card. But Well, okay. remember, last week I think lost their main event. That's why... Alexa and Viviani got moved to it. Oh. Because, like, there was some shuffling of the deck, but I think they got promoted to main event after gotcha. something. I forget what happened, though. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, all that is to say, it was a fine fight, but I would have, you know, liked a little more action. Uh, I thought Chukagian was landing more, and Fioro was, as you said, sitting down on her punches and throwing big, like, overhands. I didn't really see a landing. And still, at the end, I kind of was like, oh, I think she won. Uh, my mom was there when I watched it, and she said, oh, uh, the girl on the right won because the one on the left, her face is all messed up. And she was right. Manon got the fight. So <laughs> sometimes that's all you need to do is look at the face. Um, it, it is what it is. Not the best fight, but you know, it keeps the, the conveyor belt moving in the division. I will say, I think people poo-pooed that fight a little bit too much. I thought they were putting out a great output considering the, the criticism. I was like... 
I mean, they're not heavy punchers, but they're getting after it. <laughs> you know, they what were are you... consistently going at, in, like you know, charging each other the whole fight. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't. It wasn't boring, and they weren't sitting back like, and like you know, I, I'll say it. I saw Henry Cejudo, bro. Come on, there are a lot worse fights. You're acting like this is Derek Lewis and Ganu. Yeah, part yeah. two. Let's not be too harsh. Yeah, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, look, all right. So that one, obviously, um. That was another one. Uh, Alexa Grasso, Tyler Santos for my money next year. And then you essentially have the line set up again for Valentina. Um, Bilal Muhammad looked good. Got a good finish on Sean. Uh, yeah, Sean Brady. Uh, just another one. I saw Shevkat Rachmanov. He's like that boogeyman of the welterweights. It just seems like everybody. They would talk about everybody but him. And then it's like, bro, it's like. He's the Rafael Faziv of the okay. welterweights. You have all these big names, and then you just got that one dude who's just kicking butt, and no one wants to fight him yet. That's just how it is. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think Bilal will take it. I think Bilal is certainly waiting to see whether or not Hamzat actually gets Colby Covington, uh-huh. um, which leads into our next topic. But I'm going to take a quick detour. What did you think of Hamza uh, getting into it with Habib's cousin cage side? Yeah, that you know was that the I can't remember who was fighting at the time, but there was a moment where it was clear that something was going on in the crowd, right? And everyone in in the in the uh, front rows is standing up and looking behind them. Do you know if that's that's when I that thought, I didn't think that was during the main event. I felt like oh, okay. that happened. They had to that 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 couldn't have been the fight that DC referred to on the broadcast. I okay, felt like okay. in the moment, yeah. Okay, so and okay, so forget it then. But yes, I've seen the video where they're you know sort of uh, very uh, aggressively holding a handshake and you know looking into each other's eyes. It's kind of like uh, you know if you've ever stared directly into your dog's eyes, you don't think it's a problem until right before it becomes a problem. It's like the two gorillas at the zoo. Yeah, you're they're like, just oh. chill, and next thing you know, it turns into King Kong versus Godzilla. Right. And so. I saw the push and I was like, okay, whatever. Like clearly they had a beef, no big deal. I didn't think much of it. Okay. I really didn't. Um, it was the apology video after that had me sort of second guessing my initial reactions. Like, did I miss something? Like, was this a way bigger deal than, than I thought it was? Because, um, the apology video was quite bizarre it felt like a bunch of schoolboys, uh, you know. Like you're being the, the principal's office, right? Yeah, the principal's, but like a, like a, you know, I won't say Catholic, but like a religious school where you're in front of like the religious leader of the school and you're you're very sorry to be there. Um, and um, yeah, so so that's what I thought. It was very bizarre, but maybe you have some more insight onto what all that apology video was about. You know, I think I don't have another way to say it except that that's just how they roll over there in Dagestan. <laughs> It just felt like, yeah, I felt the same way. It was like they were they were not apologizing, but it felt like they were just brought out to be reprimanded and they videotaped it. Yeah. I, I just was like, what? Like, I, I almost, I mean, anymore, if you have something like this happen, they just tweet about it and it's all good. Like, uh, got a little carried away. All respect. Good luck in your next one. Yeah, thanks, bro. Anymore, when we have beefs like that, that's how they settle it. This was just like they had like the pageantry and headmaster Habib had to talk about this. And 
I will say the comments did give it more context because I guess Habib has said in many interviews that, you know, Abubakar, who had fought earlier in the night, he used to start the most problems in, back when they were in school. Okay. So it's, I think it kind of felt like, bruh, like, here's my, here's my dumb little bro causing stuff and here Big Brother has to come in and fix it for him. And then I think that with Hamzat, Hamzat's a big deal. I I know the rumors are out there that Hamza used to just be like this bad dude back in the day. I need to see more evidence before I roll with that. But the fact is, it's Habib. Like, I don't know where he stays when he's in Abu Dhabi, but he probably could call up one of the princes and stay at a, you know, you know how some people have a guest house? Yeah. The Sheik has a guest palace. Right, yeah. Habib gets to stay at the guest palace if he needs to, you know? That's bigger than whatever Hamzat's got going on. So I think that that's why the body language of everyone involved is what it was. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. It was, you know, I'll just, it was just bizarre. The belt was there. It was like this, Bro. you know, who, like, I just want to know who did they think, who were this, who were they addressing? Like, who did they think needed to see this apology? And we didn't, I didn't feel like we needed to, you know, confirm that they were all on good terms and that they were they had each other's backs like that wasn't something i was worrying about so i agree with you i agree with you i don't (laughs) know either i just that was weird that's like i said that's just how they roll in that part of the world um dana white did agree with oscar willis of the mac life he would love to put hamzat versus colby as the co-main event to leon and usman which People are expecting to fall in late March or April. I think it really depends. Will they double up March's pay-per-views? Because March traditionally is a Vegas pay-per-view. However, as we saw this year already, there have been plenty of months where you do two a month. Could they do a second one in the UK? Could they just wait till April and make that a UK pay-per-view? I think that's what they're figuring out right now at UFC. But essentially suggesting that's the expected timetable. Now, as we already discussed, Colby Covington has kind of gone MIA, and Bilal Muhammad suggested as much like, I don't think that dude's coming out. He's certainly not about to just show up out of nowhere and fight Hamzat, so I guess that's my thoughts to you. I think, if anything, for me, it just confirmed to me that Dana White and them still have plans on treating Hamzat as a welterweight instead of a middleweight, so that says a lot more than anything in terms of dates and opponents so far yeah that's that's true and the covington thing is strange too but you know like why he's not been out talking being seen maybe he's you know i don't know does it have to do with the lawsuit or does it have to do with or it's not a lawsuit it's actually you know criminal charges right um but he against, didn't do anything no no no. i mean like because of <laughs> not not against him masvidal but maybe he feels he doesn't want to get any heat from it, you know, on the streets of Miami. I don't know, but I'm not really concerned about him not having made a, an appearance or done an interview. Uh, that fight is is really exciting. I would love to see that. Um, maybe, maybe, <laughs> I'm going to say something ridiculous. Maybe if they don't fight in the cage, they do a little uh, slap fighting, right? That could be fun too. <laughs> All I know, I feel like Dana White just said, you know what, when you're rich, this is the kind of thing you could spend your money on. And that's just that, you know, just for for the lulls. 
You know what I mean? With it's, the slap it's fighting. It's brutal, man. It's, I feel like when I see those clips, like the little promo reel, I think, I don't know if I could watch this. <laughs> I mean. But I can watch someone take a kick in the head, so I don't 2022, know. <laughs> 2022, right? Yeah. Or 2023. Yeah. But yeah. Um, for my money, they'll make the fight happen. They will. I think here's the thing. They haven't had reason to talk to Colby. They now have reasons to talk to Colby. There we are. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, they got some other stuff obviously going on in UFC world. There's a couple announcements. In chronological order, let me make sure I wrote these correctly. Marina Rodriguez taking on Amanda Lemos in the new main event on November 5th. It was supposed to be Bryce Mitchell versus Movsar Evloev, but Movsar had an injury, so they're rescheduling Bryce and Marina and Amanda are going to be taking the fight. So that one's there. Paddy Pimblett gets an opponent. He's taking on Jared Gordon at UFC 282 on December 10th. Um, I don't think that was the one that was suspected, but there we have it. He gets a no, he gets an established UFC veteran. I know he's not exactly lighting up 155 in the rankings, but Jared yeah. Gordon is another tough guy. And then next year, Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa in Australia on February 12th. Once again, that's another one that I felt like that shows their commitment to Hamza at 170. Because if he was going to move up to 85, they would have gone straight up Paulo Costa. It just makes too much sense. So um, credit to Costa. He's going into enemy territory. You have to imagine he asked for somebody in Rio, but he get he knows that Whitaker's the number two guy. That moves him back toward the title. Um, so I, I appreciate the gamesmanship. What are your thoughts? I like Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon. That's a good challenge for Patty. You know, he's so exciting. He's so fun to watch. But you kind of, you know, you're sitting at the edge of your seat here because, you know, he's, he takes chances. He's, he's a little reckless. And he sometimes, well, I don't know if he's had two or three fights at, at this point in the UFC, but it's like there's always a moment where you think, oh, boy, this could go this could go, uh, you know, the wrong way, not in his favor, and he pulls it out, and then it's, you know, a great big celebration. So someone like Jared Gordon, established, has the, you know, the skills, has the experience. This is a good test. I like it. Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, man, I sort of feel like, I feel for Robert Whitaker a little bit because he's just stuck in this limbo and he's in this purgatory, I should say, where he's just, you know, he's already fought the champ twice and everyone knows he's the next best but just just can't get the belt back. And, yeah, that's a good fight against Paulo Costa, but what does it get him, right? And so that that's kind of where I feel a little bit for him. But he has to fight. He has to keep fighting. He loves what he loves. So, And, and look, Adesanya, um, Pereira, like, I'm not so sure that's going to be a an easy fight for Adesanya at all. So that could mix things up in a good way for Whitaker. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, you know, I guess for me, it really just depends on the timing. What are we looking like after November? Um, I don't know. It, it just feels like there's nobody really left for him. You could say Jack Hermanson, um, you know, for Adesanya if he gets past Pereira, but... Yeah, that does make it, you know, Paulo Costa, if he beats Luke and looks good against Whitaker, that's as good an option as any. I feel like 205 is just locked in behind Jan Blahovich, Magomed. Um, obviously, Jiri and Glover are doing their thing too. 
So I just feel like that's already so tied up that I don't even factor in Adesanya moving up right now. So I think you're right about that on what we could do at 85. Actually, like Marina Rodriguez, that girl just stays after it. She doesn't complain about give me this fight, give me that fight. She just, we know she deserves the title shot. We know she's been ready. We know that she probably was looking to get Rose Namajunas. The fact is, that girl just keeps fighting, keeps winning. She had it when she beat Mackenzie Dern last year. And she's taken two or three fights this year since then, just waiting for her shot. I love it. I love that uh, attitude. I'm looking forward to another showcase. Amanda is another tough girl. I think people are sleeping on her because of the way the Jessica Andrade fight went. But that's another tough test. And that's just another feather in Marina's cap, if you ask me. So there we are. Um, and then, of course, Natalie, we top off the whole week with this whole doubleheader. So first off, pit stop at the UFC, Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen. People sleep on Arnold Allen. I get it. He's very, he just has the worst luck getting back to the cage. And I get it. He's like on average a once a year fighter. Yeah. He's on a great run. I think that he feels like this is kind of it, right? It's kind of like now or never. He's literally at this pace, gone from prospect to veteran, it's his time to really show up or show Or It's kind of like now or never. Uh, right. Back to that. For Calvin Cater, this is a big fight. He loses that decision in the competitive one to Josh Emmett. He beats a guy like Arnold. You could make the argument that you're back in the conversation after his fight with Giga Chikatsi. Um All of it makes for a very intriguing fight. I think we're going to see a lot of work on the feet. Both of them are tough. Both of them are experienced. I think that the movement and the slickness is there for Cater. I think that there's just maybe a little more firepower, ironically, on the side of Allen, even though um, he's just really been more of a... Uh, he's just more inconsistent um, in terms of getting to the cage. But the fact is, he's been out there a while. I think that they both... They're both going to be able to neutralize and get back to the feet. I don't see them necessarily looking to wrestle or grapple and try to go for submissions in this one. I think that if there's any grappling, it's specifically to try to steal rounds or to try to do some ground to pound in route to getting back to the feet eventually. What about you? Yeah, this fight is yeah, it's fun. I like it. Calvin Cater, this matchup makes me think he's sort of entering gatekeeper status. I'm not trying to send him down the river, but, you know, he's reliably awesome on his feet. Like, excellent, excellent striking. Just really clean, clean boxing. Um, but I think when I think about the loss to Max Holloway and, um, well, I'm looking at his record here. But when I think about the record, I think, okay, like, he's amazing, but will he ever be champion? Lost to Josh Emmett. Um, you know, I don't know. Not that that's the be-all, end-all, right? Like, you want to be a fighter to push yourself, to test yourself, to be the best you can be. And it's not, there's no hanging your head down low if you don't get the belt, right? But this sort of makes me think like he's in that gatekeeper position. So that's fine. Arnold Allen, um, you know, interesting luck with the fight frequency. But I like the way you put it, where at this point, because he's only had one fight a year, he's kind of, you know, this is the moment where you got to shine. And if you don't, then you might sort of just fizzle out. 
So I expect Calvin Cater to display his amazing striking. Um, I think that's going to be enough. I really do. I know Allen has a lot to offer, but I think Calvin Cater is going to be smart, use his um, his footwork, win on points, and I, I'm picking Calvin Cater by decision. I don't think there's going to be a finish here. I think it's going to be by decision, Calvin Cater. I agree with you. I think just the consistency for Calvin Cater. I think that when I look at Arnold's record with respect, I think that Calvin is just a slightly different kettle of fish than the other veterans that uh, Arnold has taken on. I think the fact that Calvin just has more reps, I think that he's just in a great stride of his career. And I know that's a weird thing to say coming off a loss, but I think that when you look at the fights back-to-back against Chikotse and really just how tough he was against a guy like Emmett. I think that this is a really good time for Cater. I think he sees, uh, I think he truly feels like he's not too far down that ladder from kind of getting back up those first few steps or last few steps to get to a title shot. So I think that that's really the key. I think that Arnold is obviously going to be tough. I think that he's going to present some problems, but I think it's just going to be about the movement and the counters. It's not going to be a banger. Uh, they are going to stand, but I think that it's just going to be a technical breakdown for Calvin Cater over time. And I do give Arnold the respect. I think that this may be a back and forth. I don't think that Calvin's going to win every round. But I do think that this is going to be one where just that, when it comes time to really gut check yourself, that's when it's going to pull out for uh, Calvin and that's where he's going to get the win. Yep. And the piece de resistance. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they're running early. I do think that Dana White will straight up run it back to back just to kind of be, I'll just say it, that competitiveness, that competitiveness and just he's going to make him run at the same time as Jake Paul, Anderson Silva. <laughs> And, you know, I, I think that my one thing about this, Natalie, the the timing and just the circumstances of this fight, I, I think that had we had it straight up, I would have been more hyped about it. I think if we'd actually seen Jake Paul since the last one, we would have been more hyped about it. Yeah, I think so. I think that we're just feeling that all this 280 fatigue. And now that it's like, it's hard to be like, bruh, like, it's an awesome fight, but the you know you can only stay hot for so long. The fire can only burn at max for so long. This is a great fight, and I think that this is the one that the fan base has the most emotions about. If I'm being honest with you, Jake Paul is Jake Paul. He is public enemy number one. He has really brutalized the stars of mixed martial arts, and I've heard Ben Askren talk about it. Other people have talked about it. The fact is, he's better than any of us thought he was or could be. It probably hurts a lot of the pundits to say it, but you just know it's true, right? And mm-hmm. the MMA fighters all acknowledge it. Anderson Silva, bigger, faster, better striker than really Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren combined three times over. Three times, the five times. I mean, I mean, Bruh, yeah. It is the man. It is the legend. It is the one who we believe will end the reign of terror of the YouTuber. Uh He is the hero that we both need and deserve. 
like the Batman at the end of that last movie. Just all of this really is just tough to visualize any more fitting a storyline for the MMA world than to see a guy like Anderson Silva do Anderson Silva things to Jake Paul. But here's the reality. Uh In his 40s, Jake Paul in his 20s, young, big, you know, got some size and power himself, put it bluntly. Is that enough to carry him past an Anderson at this stage of his illustrious career? And I'm going to just toss it to you for uh, give your take before I do predictions. Oh, boy. Yeah, this one just makes me so nervous because, look, we all, we're all we on the MMA side, right? We love, we, we love boxing, too, but MMA is our jam. So, um, yeah, Askren, Woodley, like, ugh, embarrassing, <laughs> eye-rolling. But they're much smaller than Jake Paul. They're known – they came up wrestling. Like, it was just ridiculous matchmaking. This one makes sense, Okay. But, of course, as you pointed out, the age difference is really big. Anderson Silva is still the Spider-Man. He's still got the moves. But can he be, will he be fast enough, strong enough to not just beat um, Jake Paul, but maybe hurt him? I'm not even looking for a knockout here. I'm just looking for a little hurt, you know. Uh, But, look, I think Anderson Silva's in a tough spot because he can't make this a boring fight. Or, you know, play it too careful because then fans could say, and I guess what does it matter what fans say, but people could say, well, he was he was too careful. He didn't really go out there and try and test himself. But he also can't be too cocky, right? I think about the first Weidman fight. He thought he had it in the bag. He was doing the head movement, and then bam. Nobody wants to see that either. I want Anderson Silva to stay smart and sharp. Leave the ego at the door. Not that he has an ego problem, but, you know, I want him to just be in there and take it real seriously. I suspect he is. He seems really centered right now, like in his later career, at peace with his life, with his legacy. So I think he's coming into this with a happy heart and just wanting to have a good fight. He's still a killer. He still wants to win. Um, But, dude, MMA needs this win badly, right? Anderson Silva is our only hope. Like uh, R2-D2 and, uh, you know, what's her name? Princess Leia, right? Anderson Silva is our only hope right here. (laughs) This is it. He's 40-whatever years old. This is it. If he can't do it, okay. That's sad. And hopefully Jake Paul will just fight boxers. But, you know, there's a lot of emotional um, heartache on the line here. And uh, I don't know what else to say. I'm just nervous. No, I completely get it. Yeah, so really just um, I'm with you there. It's just going to come down to the movement, right? Obviously, Mm -hmm. um, uh, shot selection. I think that Anderson just work volume over pressure. Just, uh, you know, kind of like a Nick Nate Diaz approach. Not every shot full power. But just keep kind of making him feel like you cannot reach him, you know, kind of put all those years to the test. And then to Jake Paul's credit, you work the body, you work the arms, uh, do not load up trying to take the spider's head off. Plenty of people have tried. You're not going to beat him with a grenade and a shotgun Um, unless, you know, it's like a Chris Weidman scenario, number one. Uh That said... 
you just got to feel like the experience is there. Just the amount of striking a man like Anderson has done. Uh, what I've been told from people in the camp is that he is really focused. He's motivated. He's just in this great place. And he just feels like he's going to get this kid. Like, I know a lot of them say that. But no, like, he took it serious. He's not taking no die for anybody. He's going out there to do what he does. So, yeah, that's what I've heard. And I believe it. And I'm ready to see it. So, I'm going to, you know what? You know how I like to roll when it's oh, Anderson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First round, knockout for the win. I want it at the end of the first round. I want the <laughs> suffering to last a little bit. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't want the suffering to last. I don't want it. I, I don't want to be on my edge of my seat for, what is this, 10 rounds, 12 rounds? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 10, I think. 10. And, uh, I mean, I'm going to have my beers ready. I don't have champagne, but, you know, beers ready to pop. When Silva wins, and I'll put plastic over my sofa, you know, like uh, MLB style, and cover. Oh, like everything. you're ready for a championship. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for time to put my goggles on. Like I'm gonna be ready for this, this, this victory. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm picking Silva too. I think it's gonna take a little bit longer. Round three, uh, TKO. The sun will shine again on Sunday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the sunshine is not gone. <laughs> oh yeah, there ain't no sunshine. <laughs> yeah, that's um. What else can I say? That it's I'm ready for it. So, well, guys, we'll be back next week to break down all of the action. We're expecting obviously a great night of fights and obviously some more MMA news when we get to it. So, thank you. You've been if you've stuck with us for the whole episode. Remember, like, comment, subscribe, leave a review, five stars, all that jazz. And we'll be back next week. Take care. <laughs>